We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Hour Pods. This episode is going to be part one of a three-part season preview. The three parts are going to be looking at the guards first, which we'll do today. The wings will be part two. That'll publish on Sunday. And then part three will be the bigs, and that will publish on Monday morning. I've roped in Britt Robson to do this activity with me. Uh, Britt, normally this is the, the part of the show where I say, Britt Robson of The Athletic. Uh, that's that's no longer the case. Maybe for uh, our listeners and your readers who are not on Twitter, you can just want to explain where your writing is going to be. Sure. Um, I can't remember. Time flies. Is it last week or two weeks ago? Um, anyway. Last week. Yeah, in, a week ago. Recently, maybe last week, um, I, was, uh, I, I was doing some story brainstorming with John Krasinski who remains ever optimistic that the athletic will uh, uh, emerge from uh, its uh, one step forward, two steps back approach to uh, its non-staff writers. And so I uh, put together two lengthy pitches because uh, since the pandemic, my story ideas need to be needed to be approved by somebody uh, not directly associated with me somebody right. some foreign person higher up on the chain and so uh he said hey can i call you this guy or who's was my editor at the time and so i said sure and i gave him a time he called me up and said hey um the athletic has made the decision to freeze all our freelance money for the rest of the year um which is a rough thing to have happen like two weeks before the start of the season. <laughs> and yes. so, you know, and, and that would be essentially about 40% of the NBA season. But, you know, so I said, okay. And so I put it out on Twitter that that's what happened. And, um, and then uh, within 24 hours, the next morning, um, my old uh, editor at uh, MinPost, Andy Putz, um, said, hey, you know, I read what happened and uh, we can give you X amount of money, which was a little more money actually than the athletic was paying me. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, you can write at least weekly. Um, which will be cool. I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit. I, I've got it in my head to the point that the idea of you writing 
weekly sounds almost foreign, but that's, I mean, that was, it was at six the beginning. To, the, the original agreement I had with The Athletic um, when it started about three or four years ago, I can't even remember when it was. First of all, hats off to John Kaczynski, who was my colleague at The Athletic and still works there, is still, a, I think, a must read. 100%. Um, and um, he said that uh, he kind of intimated that he wouldn't join The Athletic if he didn't have me on board or at least somebody like me, a, a complimentary partner. Um, and so, um, I think that it's kind of a, me leaving or being pushed out and going somewhere else now is, uh, uh, not a great thing for him. And I, I feel bad about that, but, um, I don't even know where I was going with that, but anyway, <laughs> uh, point it, is John, John is still going to be around there at the, John's still going to be around and, work. uh, uh, oh, oh, it, that's what I was saying. So. I had the leverage of like John Krasinski uh, and I were going to come in as a team, a weird team, right. because I didn't want a salary. I wanted to be freelance. I prefer to be freelance. And I'm not sure they would have given me a salary anyway, quite frankly. But what I said was I wanted to do six to eight stories a month for X amount of money. And, um, and I want to write about what I want to write about, when I want to write about it, and have it be a relatively quick turnaround. And they agreed to all of that, and they lived up to all that. Zach Pierce, who I'd never met before, was my first editor there, was great. He was a fantastic editor. I can't say enough good things about him. He got kicked upstairs uh, right around the time of the pandemic. I can't and remember. to be clear, kicked upstairs is a positive thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. He, yeah, he, he, yes. he did the Olympics for uh, yeah. in one of the things, but I'm sure now he's just higher on the chain. Um uh, anyway, he's, they went silos. They went sport rather than geography. So it's not the athletic Minnesota anymore. John, uh, Zach is from here. Mm -hmm. Anyway, whole thing happens. What I'm saying is I was writing six times a month kind of at a minimum when I started. And th th if, you, if people go back and look at the archive, that's pretty much what I was doing. The idea of writing five times a month for MinPost now sounding like a lot oh, is Lord. because I haven't been writing very <laughs> yeah. much at all because um, they found ways to discourage my ideas or not take my ideas or just say, you know, we're not going to do that now. I wanted to write about the WNBA, didn't want that. So anyway, uh, I am I have no idea how long I'll be at MinPost. Um I know I'm there until the end of the year. I think it's a really good idea to just see how this rolls out. Mm -hmm. And if it rolls out well, um, the idea of having my own story ideas executed when I want them executed, the original terms of my deal with The Athletic that is now my deal with MinPost at more money than I was making at The Athletic is a good idea. Right. And I'm Assuming for, for some of the listeners or your readers yeah. probably just started reading at The Athletic might not be familiar with the Min Post spot before. Yeah. I, I would say a quote-unquote advantage to a reader is there's not a paywall, no paywall. there at Min Post, but Min Post does It's have, a non-profit. Yes. It gets its money through subscribers and um, grants, but mm -hmm. it does not demand a subscription to read it. And And I would say... <laughs> As someone whose business model is somewhat similar, <laughs> minus the the grads, uh, you know, if you were if you were paying for Brit at the Athletic, and you know, I, I would say consider that at MinPost because if it weren't for MinPost, I don't, I would want to say Brit wouldn't be writing, but 
maybe not as quick of a turnaround as this has been. So it wouldn't be as satisfying a redemption. Uh, you know, I mean, one minute I'm saying, well, that's worth paying for. Who knows what's going to happen? You know, I mean, I don't know. I did say on my tweet, you know, I'll, in the meantime, I'll figure it out. And I, you know, it always works out. Um, so and this time it just happened to work out really well and right. really quickly. So for those two reasons and for the fact that um, you'll be getting you'll be getting stories that I'm thinking up and able to execute in relatively short order. One of the other problems with MinPost, I mean, with uh, The Athletic uh, toward the end of that first tenure with them or whatever, is <laughs> that um, uh, They're gonna I would propose you. an idea and then I would take about four or five days minimum to get back to me about that idea. So even if they said yes to the idea, four or five days in the middle of an NBA season changes the dynamic of your original right. idea for the story. I mean, I'm not doing big picture profiles of guys usually, although that's actually what I started to gravitate toward because on the spot trend analysis wasn't going to happen right. under the circumstances. I'll be doing more of that, I think, now. I'll be uh, looking at a two or three game stretch and saying this will be a source of a good column. So I like that approach. I like being able to mix it up. As a reader, you know, I, I look forward to it. I appreciated what you guys were doing at The Athletic. Still appreciate what John's doing, but it's uh it's a it's a cool wolves beat. A lot of different a lot of different platforms doing a great job. Just even yep. just today, you know, um Jace wrote a, a feature on Anthony Edwards, Chris Hine at Jace at the Pioneer Press did the, the feature on Anthony Edwards, Chris Hine interviewed Alex Rodriguez and Mark Laurie at the game yesterday. I haven't had the chance to read that one yet, actually. And and John writes a you know feature on Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, right. the Wolves' beat in terms of writing is it's the golden age of sports writing, <laughs> especially like in the that. NBA. Something like that. Um, all right, okay. So, so Brett is at Mint Post. We are doing today's pod on um, on the guards. I, I split up the this whole activity somewhat, no, not somewhat, very subjectively into who I determined the guards on this roster um, were and who the wings were, who the bigs were. So, what we're going to focus on for the guards are D'Angelo Russell. I'm going to scroll here. Patrick Beverly, Jordan McLaughlin, Leandro Balmaro, Jalen Noel, and then a little footnote on McKinley Wright. So with that, I think the, the main guy, obviously, to start with is probably one of the most interesting and enigmatic players on the roster, I think, in D'Angelo Russell. Right. Where's yeah, and I, I – yeah, I, I – I like enigmatic more than interesting because um, if somebody is perpetually enigmatic, they become less interesting. <laughs> um, but that said, I think that um, D'Angelo Russell played very badly for Ryan Saunders and I think played pretty well for Chris Finch. And that was certainly not a coincidence, and I do not think it was necessarily injury-related, although I do think he was hurt for a time under Ryan. Um, I just don't think he respected Ryan Saunders. And I think that if you read the body language of Ryan, I think Ryan tried hard not to express his disenchantment with D'Lo, but I think that was there as well. Bottom line was a bad relationship. Um, and relative to this season, that that might portend that the D'Lo we got at the beginning of the year, or particularly the middle kind of chunk of the year before he got hurt, 
was not the as theoretically as motivated as the player we're going to see here. Absolutely, of this I think I that think is absolutely yeah. true. He said nothing but good things about Finch. I think Finch is a better coach for him simply because uh, D'Lo is a prove it to me guy for better and for worse, I think. And um, I think that Finch simply had more bona fides than Ryan did. And also, it didn't take a genius to see that um, a lot of what Ryan was doing was not under his control, that he was basically being manipulated by the guy above him, you know, Gerson Rosas. Uh, Finch it was made it pretty obvious pretty soon after arriving that he had his own way, and um, Gerson could talk to him about it, but it wasn't going to be the final say. Right. I think that's a significant, significant difference in the Timberwolves. I think it's one of the reasons it's going to be a through why I'm more bullish on this team, yes. and it's why I'm definitely more bullish on D'Lo than I was last year, although still skeptical. So where, where my head goes when I think about D'Angelo Russell for this season is, and this is, I preface it with, I'm very much glass half full on D'Lo for this year. So where my head goes is the 2018-19 D'Angelo Russell season mm. in Brooklyn. And that's the year where he was the Asterix All-Star, you know, right. the, the replacement. Got in there. later, right, right? Yeah, which, you know, that sounds pejorative. It's not. You know, he was, even if right. he wasn't the 12th best player in He's these like two conferences. He's like 24 years old and an All-Star, even as a replacement All-Star, you know, nothing right. to sneeze at. I And I think I... I draw a couple of similarities to that one being that that was a contract year for him mm -hmm. and and i wouldn't have really drawn that connection together until at media day numerous times d'angelo russell brought up said this is a contract year yes for him for i think himself. he's fooling himself you know it's yes. like one of those things where i set my clocks 10 minutes fast everywhere i go <laughs> so that i'm on time right right and, and Dilo's saying i'm gonna it's a contract year so i'm really gonna play to the fullest extent of my ability he's extension eligible after a year from now, there are two years left on his contract. So right. it'll be up to Sasha Gupta and whatever the Wolves front right. office looks like at that time to offer him that. But, right. you know, he wants more than $30 million a year. Huh? I, I I don't I mean, it doesn't have to be more than 30. Right. It could be. Oh, I see. He just wants a longer term. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that could be. And I mean, I think he probably wants another really big deal. Um, and I think that's where his head's at. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think it's going to lead to. You know, I think it's going to lead to engagement. I don't think he, I mean, we've already kind of ruled out his, the malaise happening that happened under Saunders. I agree. But in a quote unquote contract year, I think it's very unlikely you would get a disengaged D'Angelo Russell. So I, I think about that. I think about how that, that Nets team, I think what, 40 and 42, mm -hmm. that that's right. That's kind of or around, the other way around. It might have been 42 and 40. Yeah, it, it was like, somewhere in that. It was a middling team. Was it an eight playoffs. seed? Yeah. I think they got the seven seed because they played yeah. the Sixers the East, in the first yeah. round. Yeah, is the, is the East, I don't know, some similar caliber of team overall. Right. Maybe to what we project this, this Wolves team to be. And then the other thing that just kind of stood out to me when I was looking at up some of this stuff this morning was in that season, he actually averaged less points per game and or points per 36 minutes, however you want to look at it. He averaged less that year than he did the next year in Minnesota and Golden State. So I, I think just in my head, when I think about Brooklyn Nets, D'Angelo Russell, I was kind of picturing like, you know, like a 25 a night sort of guy, but thinking more about it, remembering more about it, looking into it a little bit more, he was kind of a, a catalyst for a group 
mm-hmm. on that Brooklyn team. Right. And I think if that works this year with the Wolves, or this whole season works, and D'Angelo works within the context of it, right. he's a catalyst of a group. Now, it's a different type of group. He was pretty clearly the best player on that team. You know, Karis LeVert was there, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen. Um, I don't think D'Lo's the best player on this team, of course. But it's it's the same kind of idea. So I'm, I'm interested to see, can that that being a catalyst that he was for that Brooklyn team, that engagement he had on that Brooklyn team, translate to a team that has two players who are better than him. That That's what right. I'm thinking about this. And the two X factors for me are shot selection and defense, not necessarily in that order. Mm-hmm. Um, can D'Lo um, be really conducive off the ball which he has shown to be a really good fit with uh, John, uh, J, whatever his name, McLaughlin. Jordan McLaughlin. <laughs> Jordan, I knew it was a J somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, or Patrick Beverly, um, which Finch, he hinted at last night, he would like to see more Beverly D'Lo backcourt than he's seen in the preseason, was going to see it last night until D'Lo uh, rested. rested. Uh, so um, that aspect can he uh, regulate as the guy with the ball most of the time in the full-blown offensive scheme where, you know, you have Ant and Cat and, you know, perhaps Beasley, but if not Beasley, another, you know, force right. on the floor, probably not Vando in this case. Um, can he apportion shots so that Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns totally. are expecting – to get the ball in their spots at certain circumstances that are matchup friendly or they just have heat checks going on or whatever, can he think like a point guard and operate like an off guard as the situation warrants? That's what I mean by shot selection. And then defense speaks for itself. Uh, Specifically, I think he likes the idea that Finch is not a huge closeout on above the break threes, which I think is one of his weaknesses on defense and he does have length and i think that finch is correctly surmising that he's going to be better off the ball in like kind of switch trap circumstances i think he can do that and i think he can be effective that way he has been off and on during this preseason sometimes he looks bad on defense especially when he's beside beasley but Bottom line, what I'm saying is I think he's a guy who could get between 20 and 25 a night, be only a slightly below average defender instead of an open wound. And I think that he can thus be uh, a legitimate part of a uh, mediocre big three, NBA big three, which is nothing to sneeze at. It'd be good for the Wolves if he could get that. Right. I I think what what stood out to me as – and I don't think you'd push back on that deal. Has had a really good preseason. I think that's true. I think he's a little too shot happy for me. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, that's about really the you know. And his defense, I think his defense has improved, mm-hmm. but it's still not great. Right. So I mean, those are my caveats. But I would agree with you in general. Yes. Yeah, and it, it's funny to like try and find a problem within a success. But I think a problem within a success again, looking at the preseason, is that when D'Lo was having these really good first quarters. Anthony Edwards would kind of be quiet, right? And it would take right. It would take extended periods of time in the game for Ant to get involved, let alone a shot. The I think the Denver game, he didn't take a shot until 
five minutes into the second quarter. Right. And so, you know, you have, you have some of that, you have some of that to navigate with those two. I, I don't know if that's necessarily a problem or a champagne problem or, or what it might be. I think it ultimately just comes down to, you know, how efficient is D'Lo within his usage, you know? Agreed. And, and that's been, that's been, if there's been an open question with D'Lo outside of defense in his career, even going back to that Brooklyn year, it's not that he can't get you 20, 25, 30. He had 50 on the wolves one time. Like it's how does that shake out in the aggregate to being, you know, effective, right? Um, how, how many of how many of the off nights are gonna are gonna sort of subtract from that? And I, remembering back to that, like the discourse around him when he quote unquote broke out in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. I don't think you had many analysts around saying I'm a D'Lo guy. It, right. Like, I feel like every time I talk to anybody, that comes up where it's like, well, you know, I'm not a big D'Lo guy. His um, reputation around the NBA is shockingly yeah. bad. I mean, I am not. A D'Lo guy, I, a lot of D'Lo stands would <laughs> right, yeah. say I'm a hater. I'm not a hater, but I certainly am not a booster of mm. D'Lo's game. Um, but I think I am generally more optimistic or right. uh, conducive to thinking D'Lo is a fine member of the team than a lot of people are who are mm. in NBA franchises. And some of that may be like the snitch thing in L.A. that was kind of overblown, in my opinion. I can see exactly how D'Lo, you know, he's he's got an interesting moral mm-hmm. code that, uh, you know, I think he, he one of D'Lo's problems is he's he's a thinker uh, sometimes and mm-hmm. can get himself in trouble that way. Um, and then the other thing in a Golden State, uh, he didn't play defense, and I I don't think he fit in with that group of winners. I think they weren't unhappy to see him go. Yeah, Steve Kerr certainly didn't. Sound so like I think it. those two things. You know that's the LA market and Golden State market, which in NBA are, are really sure. enormous markets. And Brooklyn at the time wasn't the KD site; it was the scrappy Kenny An- Kenny Atkinson site. So right. I think all those things combined mean that D'Lo is underrated overall among the NBA intelligentsia, or, or you know whether they're that's bullshit, been my biggest the bullshit pun- pundits or whatever. You know? <laughs> right. Right, like my my stance has just been that everyone is too low on him, and then by default, I'm high, right? Because I I do I do see a, a player in there. I do have questions about his proficiency, right? Like mm-hmm. I I don't know if he'll be, you know, an a, above average efficiency type of player right. for his usage, and even if in those best years he, he wasn't, I I think. All the things you're talking about for the reasons why people got down on him were like fair internal sort of demerits. Right. And externally, when we start looking at you start looking at some of the film, you start looking at some of the numbers, they don't acquit him well either, where he was one of the very highest pick and roll players in the entire league that that year in in Brooklyn, but his efficiency was was average. And what is funny, I mean, may he rest in peace. Gerson Rosas uh, essentially got him to be like this dynamic pick and roll partner with with Cat, and now Gerson's hand picked coach Chris Finch is not a pick and roll player. You can tell by the way things happen. Now D'Lo does it probably more than anybody on the team, right? But even so, 
it's not like the offense is far more based on ball movement. ISOs. Yeah, it's not a pick and roll. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it really is. He, he's, he ran in 1819, he ran 1,616 pick and rolls that led to his own shot or a pass. Right. A pass that led to a shot, which right. is a shit ton. Only, right. again, only two players in the league ran more Kemba and Trey Young that whole year. Super high volume. That's not going to happen. Right. So, in theory, if you cut down that volume, the efficiency, the efficiency should go up. The problem is last year when he was here, that volume went way down, and the efficiency did not pick up. And some of that is the Ryan Doldrums. Ryan Doldrums, you want no cap, I, mean, you can't, all I, that. I don't want to blame Ryan for everything. I think it was two sides there. But, but, there, but I also do think that that was a bad match. Mm -hmm. I do, as somebody who openly was skeptical about D'Lo while he was out before coming back under Finch, I have to say that he... Uh, was far better than I thought he would be and um, made me reassess my attitude toward exactly what I think about him. Sure. Um, I'm open-minded about him right now. Um, I do, I know for a fact that if he cuts into Ant's effectiveness, he will be gone. Right. And I think that uh, he's smart enough to know that. Or I guess the, the chance that if he's just fantastic and even if he cuts into Ant's effectiveness, he stays, that, that means that he has hit his ceiling. Right. Uh, and if that happens, hey, more power to him. Right. But I do think that he has to be cognizant of getting the ball to a guy who's still top 10 all time and true shooting percentage <laughs> in Carl Anthony Towns and another guy who's uh, 20 years old who uh, is already showing signs of being somebody incredibly special as a playmaker. Um, all that said, and I know we're spending a lot of time on D'Lo, if you're your half hour per thing, you know, we know a little blow that out of the water. Sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I want to emphasize what D'Angelo Russell does well. The guy has a shot fake, uh, shot make, while covered scheme to him totally that yeah. is i wouldn't say it's unguardable but it is really tough to prevent him from getting what for him is a good look off even if you're on him i mean he has a herky-jerky style he likes to put people in a box and play with them for a while um sometimes too much so but when he's on and and he's you know, doing his cat in a in a in, in a cat and mouse game with people, then you know that's that's fun. That's fun to see. And the other thing about Delo is you'll be bitching about his shot selection, and then boom, he hits three threes in a row, and all of a sudden he's got eighteen points. You know, <laughs> exactly. and so uh, we have to remember that about him as well is that uh, Delo is uh, inefficient until he's not. And then all of a sudden, boom, the Wolves have a six-point lead. And know? I think he has a good chance at that not part happening in the fourth quarter and that end of games, mm -hmm. which is obviously, you know, more valuable. That I don't think that's a right cliche. I don't think that's fake. I think I think those things and aren't even always captured by numbers. It's it's a willingness and it's an assertiveness. And yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to see how it all kind of works together, specifically with Ant, specifically with Cat. 
with this defense, all these things we've talked about, like he is a bit of an open question and, and the proof is just going to going to be in the pudding. It's another pivotal year. I mean, it's a pivotal year for him and Cat. Right. And, and uh, you know, gets to timelines, but it also gets to patience, quite frankly. Sure. Um, you know, they're both max guys. It's mm-hmm. small max, but still max. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and they don't have um, the all forgiving person in their corner anymore. Um, whether that was Rosas or Ryan or Glenn Taylor or whatever, it's a prove it to me now situation for both Cat and D'Lo. Things are changing. And I think that's a good thing. Um, let's take a quick break here and then get through the, uh, the rest of the guards. Today's show is brought to you by TickPick. Timberwolves basketball is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Timberwolves tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. We obviously have the Timberwolves home opener coming up and the Wolves will be playing at Target Center. So you can use TickPick. They'll have you covered. Obviously, we'll have games all throughout the season. I'll be there at everyone. You can wave to me in the media section. So if you're looking for Timberwolves tickets, visit TickPick.com slash Moore, my full name today, and use the promo code Moore to save $10 on your first order for Timberwolves tickets. That's TickPick.com slash Moore. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, we're back talking with Britt Robson of MinPost about the uh, the guards on, on the Timberwolves roster. We've talked about D'Angelo Russell thus far. I want to hit quickly on Patrick Beverly, Jordan McLaughlin, Bomaro and Noel, and maybe a stray for McKinley Wright. Patrick Beverly is he's someone we've talked about before that you, you've already taken um, a liking to. We both think this fit here is is pretty ideal. Has anything changed in this kind of month. I don't see that, a downside. Yeah. I really don't. I mean, yeah. Jarrett Culver and Juancho Hernan Gomez, um, I would have gotten rid of for a second round pick. 
And instead, we get a guy who totally can change the attitude about defense more than a Jade McDaniels, who will someday probably be, be as good or better defender, more than a uh, Josh Okogie or Vanderbilt, who are 100% hustle. This is a guy who's been a veteran, who's been on all NBA teams defensively, who's been in championship locker rooms, uh, I think. If he hasn't, he's been to finals. Contending. You're um, talking about Beverly? Yeah. I think he's gone to a, no. He's he's clip, whatever, but yeah. he's been he's not been in the playoffs every year of his career, and um, is somebody who is an open book. I mean, to the for good and for bad. I mean, sometimes he can be a real jerk. The the push on Chris Paul to end his season last year was inexcusable, um, and it's the reason he won't be able to play in Game One of this season. There you go. And so, all that said, he's a perfect fit here. His attitude was necessary. This is a passive team, always has been a passive team. Uh, it is not a team with a lot of fiber to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not a team that emphasizes defense or has been able to walk their talk on defense, let alone talk very often about defense. <laughs> so all that is good. And as I said, it cost them next to nothing. Um and I think that the other, I mean, there's so many cool things to say about Patrick Beverly. He can play on or off the ball. He can play off the bench or as a starter. Um, he doesn't, he legitimately doesn't care as long as the team is doing well. He is a selfless player, a team first guy in that respect. And after all that, if the Wolves belly flop yet again, and it's the trading deadline, He's a very valuable chip for a team going to the playoffs and trying to make noise uh, on an expiring contract. So nothing but good things here. Right. And I, I think I, not, <laughs> I think those are the obvious ones. Uh, <laughs> but I do. I mean, I, I, we've said this before. Culver, Wancho for him. That's obvious. Yes. Would, would, is Beverly, quote unquote, would he be signed a $14 million contract if he was a free agent this summer? No, probably not. But you say for a second round, like you got to trade money. If you want right, to dump yeah, money, you exactly. got to take money exactly. back. So, so it's totally a positive in that area. The, I mean, what he's bringing to this group in terms of like, Hey, wake up, like defense actually matters. Hard to put a price tag on that for this team. But the, the other way I'll go with it is just that I think he's a good offensive fit. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested to see him play alongside D'Angelo Russell. We didn't see that in the preseason. His, his catch and shoot numbers are really good. Over the past five years, he's been in catch-and-shoot three-pointers between 39.3% and 41.5% each of the past five years. I think the player to compare C.J. McCall. <laughs> sure. No, not C.J. McCall. Um, I know. I'm but but Rubio. I mean, but Rubio, right. that is who he's really replacing on this exactly. team this year. And, Night and day. Right. I mean. Actually, like, you know, balmy June and, uh, you know, monsoon February. <laughs> Something like that. Um, but I, Rubio obviously was a leader, and I think we would all say a good one. He put his stamp on on the team that way. Beverly's, as far as it went. Yeah. It could not go far because he was not a good player last year. Exactly. Exactly. He was a role player leader. And I think that's what Patrick Beverly, you know, is too. But Rubio, you know, <laughs> Beverly shot 41% from three, from catch and shoot threes over the past five years. Rubio... The best five shooting years of Rubio's career shot 
right. in, in that sort of time. I mean, it's a it's a huge difference. Rubio was thirty one percent last year. Again, Beverly forty one. Like that is so important, particularly next to D'Angelo Russell. You delete the problem of oh, what is going to go on with the D'Lo and the Rubio dynamic? Who's going to be the point guard? Who's going to play off ball? It's obvious now. Right. You know, it, it's an obvious fit offensively if you do want to play those two guys together. Or, you know, maybe Beverly's, you know, he's playing the backup and, right. and then, and then he, the lineups are staggered. But you can play him next to D'Lo without expecting problems. We got to the point with D'Lo and Rubio where if those two are on the floor, it was time to expect problems. And that's a big issue when they're supposed to be two of your leaders and two of your best players on the right. team. Right. Yeah, it was a miscalculation. But um, as as a guy who has devoted a lot of time since the end of last season to Chris Finch tea leave reading, um, I will say that when they got Patrick Beverly, Chris Finch's whole demeanor toward this team changed. Hmm. I mean, he suddenly relaxed into a lot of things that he was hoping for. I think he began to say, well, I don't think I have to hope for that anymore. We just have to do what we're capable of now. It was a big change, I think, for him. Well, you think about it. If he, if Beverly wasn't here and randomly you just still say the Memphis says no to that trade and so right. you have Wancho and, right. and Culver here, then you have, you have another hole the same size and just as prob- problematic as the power forward thing going on right now. You'd have the power forward thing going on, like, ugh, right. and and this defensive leader, backup point guard sort of issue that Beverly fills completely. Exactly and right. So the roster's not per- – I don't think Chris Finch is sleeping totally easy at night, but no. it would have been a lot of nightmares right. if, if there was no Beverly and, 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 the, and no the And forward. the face he presents to the public, I think, um, about – what can happen? I mean, he said during the Pat Bev press conference, something like we hit it out of the park on right. all <laughs> you know cylinders or something. He made some kind of grand statement that I take to be partly helping his embattled Pobo friend at the time and also- But it was a good move. It was. It was. Well, I mean, there's no doubt. I yeah. call it a home run like two seconds after I found <laughs> out about it. It was a no-brainer. Right. But um, that said- Chris Finch knows more about basketball than I do and has spent almost all his waking hours in the last year or so or eight months or whatever thinking about how to make this team better. Mm-hmm. And Beverly makes them better a lot of ways, And which isn't to say that he isn't injury-prone and also uh, temper-prone. Right. I mean, he'll get you technicals. He'll get thrown out of the game this year. I guarantee it. <laughs> and... Um, and he'll probably be hurt for a couple of stretches. Yeah, and those an are those are going to hurt because he's going to be relied upon. So I th- I think we have to factor that in. It, I mean, I don't know what his games played over the years has been. I got but it, the last five right here. Okay, um, he only played thirty seven games last year. Okay, abbreviated season. That's about half season. exactly. Yeah. yeah, the year before that, fifty one. Uh-huh. Also an abbreviated yeah. season. Yep. Year before that, seventy eight. Okay, there you go. Year before that, eleven. Yeah. Year before that, sixty seven. Uh huh. And I mean, he's 33 now, right? So, and so a that, lot of that, a lot of hard miles. That should be, yeah. I I think that that should be expected. Um, you know, from him is is some you know some sort of injury, time missed, right? Minute limitation, those sort of things. Which segue leads us to Jordan McLaughlin, I think, quite well, who is right. a legitimate third option point guard in 
on on any team in the NBA, I think you could have you know made a case for saying just rolling with him as the backup this year. If again, if the Patrick Beverly hat wasn't right, available, right. and um, yeah, and and he's here. He's been in the rotate the preseason rotation during the meaningful minutes. He's been he the eleventh guy too. in. Yes, I mean he he rarely he rarely doesn't look like he fits. I think my my question just with him is. Well, he couldn't shoot last year, so that's yeah, he, why, how he couldn't fit. I mean, he couldn't finish to save his life. He couldn't, yeah, he couldn't shoot at the basket. He did shoot forty percent from three. Okay, on, that's on interesting. But he didn't take a lot of them. I mean, I never regarded him as uh, he was always an offensive liability when he was on the floor. I agree with that. Except, you know, three or four guys on the floor with him enjoyed his presence. True. I mean, he is somebody. Finch. The thing Finch always says about him is he goes at his own pace. Mm-hmm. Which I find, you know, kind right. of a, it's a it's a Finchism, you know. I mean, it's this whole idea of uh, he plays slower than he looks uh, <laughs> is really what they, what they're saying. Right. Uh, but there is gold in that deliberation. I mean, he really is somebody. I mean, as good as D'Lo is, and D'Lo is, I think, very good on the pick and roll, despite some bad numbers in previous years. Jordan McLaughlin. Being the disher on the pick and roll right. remains a joy to watch. Being the guy who keeps it on the pick and roll, obviously that's where D'Lo has the advantage. But Jordan McLaughlin is the guy who hits the roll man. I mean, Nas Reed owes a lot of <laughs> uh, cred to what D, uh, you know J-Mac did for him. Right. Um, and last year... I think the league caught up with his lack of size and for whatever reason, and it's just the preseason. So maybe when things get serious, his effectiveness will be limited again. But in his abbreviated time this preseason, he's just looked fabulous. I think a big part of last year too, because his numbers really did dip, uh, particularly um, once he started playing more, it was right after he had COVID. Mm. Um you know, it's it's hard. How much of that are we attributing? Excuses, whatever. And what? attitude. I mean, he got screwed by the team. True. I mean, you know, he in got the, the yeah, contract, the they baited and switched him. I mean, as they have every right to, it was mm-hmm. a, one would call it good salary cap management on right. the one hand, but screwing a guy who's a loyal soldier on the other. So right. So maybe there's a lot of those ant hills have kind of leveled. Right. Uh, to you know, to to some, he's extent. got some money and he's got some security. Yeah, which you know, for like a five eleven dude, yeah. has grinded his way. You know, props to him. The one thing that just stood out to me when I, I was looking into it, we always say this. Everybody always says this about Jordan McLaughlin. The fit is great next to D'Angelo Russell. I say that that passes my eye test. The numbers do not say that last year. <laughs> well, you, that's because they neither one of them were good at different times of the year. That's a good point. I split it for the good D'Angelo time post all-star break hmm. and, and still if you, not good. And if you look at it, yeah, his pairings, it's of the 10 guys that Russell played with a lot. McLaughlin was the second worst from a team net rating standpoint. Who was the worst? Just out of curiosity. Jaden McDaniels, actually. Uh-huh. Jaden McDaniels is the, uh, is the, also enigmatic <laughs> is the, the, anti-eye test <laughs> right true and, and you know and i don't want to run too much with right, that it was right, 200 right. minutes yeah no i know um, but i, I know. mean but they all were like right, two right. to three to 350 right. minutes something like that and and russell had a lot of success with vanderbilt second half of the year a lot of success with towns a lot of success with ant you know i do think though you can envision a world 
where Delo's the first sub out. He comes back in with the second unit. And sometimes that second unit has J-Mac at the point, D'Lo at the two. I, I think we're all I open to I guarantee that. you Chris Finch is thinking that way. He, When I did my big interview with him in Las Vegas, he was talking up J-Mac. He didn't have Beverly, but mm -hmm. the fact that they did not flinch for retaining J-Mac, right. um, I think says that they really did want him. He was sincere. And also... Um, you, it's a genuine. Delo wants to shoot the ball if, if possible. Um, he he doesn't mind having a cool assist, but he really likes to shoot. J Mac really likes dimes. You know, mm -hmm. he really likes them. He he would rather throw the ball well timed to somebody. Both of them see the court very well, and both of them are X's and O's guys. So they're on the same page, and that's important when yeah. they share a backcourt. Well, it's his only case for getting in the rotation. Right. Like, if he didn't fit with D'Lo, right. then you're not going to be playing three-point guards on a team where unless, you're also going to have Unless Ant. you're going to have Beverly and D'Lo in the starting lineup and J-Mac as your, you know, your real but, but that's second, my point. Your real second point guard. The only way, though, that you're going to do that is still if you feel that you could play multiple point guards, probably right. still him together sometimes. I, I don't know. I, I think as I look at it right now, he's he's number eleven on Yeah, on, on I don't think he is gonna get um more than I mean in the aggregate, I don't think he's gonna get more than eight to ten minutes a game. Right. Uh, and I think that's a little optimistic. I think he'll get eight to ten minutes a game in the games he plays. Sure. There'll be games where he doesn't. Which leads us to Leandro Bomaro and Jalen Noel, the other two, and McKinley, right? Uh -huh. I guess we can just throw sure. some strays at those guys. They're all out of the rotation at the beginning of the year, and that isn't to say I actually think Bomaro and Noel have both shown flash, flashes of impressive things in the in the preseason. Noel is someone I've liked going back a couple of years now. Uh -huh. Bomaro, I was skeptical on that he would look as comfortable right away in the NBA. A little NBA too comfortable. Yeah, I mean, sure, but like I, I thought he would be a little bit more of a project. Even, yeah, uh, he still he is. In my, I don't like him. Well, I, I, still, I, I still think he's a project, but he... I I'm I entered the Leandro Balmaro experience asking myself what might this guy be good at? I don't know what his NBA skill set really is. And and I think there's this possibility now that he could be a guy who uses athleticism to play with pace and has some chops as a passer who maybe someday can turn into an average corner three-point shooter. Right. Um, that's not that's not a very high ceiling or anything for him. But well, I mean, who's the could, guy that was at Dallas took like sixth last year? Who was the Euro point guard? Luka Doncic. No, 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 no. It wasn't Dallas then. Uh, you throwing me off with Dallas? Uh, maybe it wasn't Dallas then. Who who was the uh, in the last year's draft? Can I oh, just say that Leandro Barmaro begins with a V. His last name begins with a V. Denny uh Oh Avdia. Denny Avdia. He's not a guard though. He's like a he's like a small forward. And so okay. is Bomaro. Yeah, and, no, that's what I mean. He has yeah. who he reminds me of. Uh okay. and, and they took that guy sixth. Sure. So I mean, if I'm gonna make a case for Balmero, what I will say is he's got the kind of skill set that wows scouts. He's got size, he's got uh speed, raw ability that is obviously not mm -hmm. developed but if you could imagine him being developed you can imagine a really sure. good player 
Um, I think he's way too excitable. I can't even imagine a really good player. But I would say the same thing yeah. about Denny FDN. I did before the draft, too. <laughs> like, I just, no, and I don't even mean that in a bad way. Right, it's like, right. I think these guys come in with a role player ceiling. I, I don't know. And, and and I would love this to all sound so stupid three years from now when right, Marmaro right, right. is an obvious starter in the league. I just can't, having watched his Euro film, having seen what we've seen from him, having watched him shoot at practices, right. I can't. So you're up on him and I'm down on him, but no, we I'm have not pretty much the it. same opinion. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, good. I'm <laughs> glad, you, glad you threw that, that last I part. Because you said, oh, you know, I, th- I think he's in. I'm I saying, was trying to like him. And we basically I have just, the same idea about him. I know. I was trying to not go negative. In, you know? Yeah, right. He's out of the rotation. He, yeah. he's, he's out of the rotation. I just know a lot of people just from like following on Twitter and stuff seem to really like him. And a lot of people seem to think he's going to be in the rotation. I tweeted last night that I'm destined to be a Balmaro hater in those people's eyes. I mean, I can see it. And I'm already a Delo hater. I mean, I I understand the, I understand the prevailing winds now. You right. know, right. I welcome their hatred. I just think it's when people who maybe didn't watch any preseason they see this Landro Bomaro guy on the roster and they haven't you know whatever right. they haven't watched right. him play. Like he is not your classic hero. He can't shoot and he's super athletic. Right. Which are the antithesis of the normal. Although in, in some with- respects there is a contingent of those kind of players from Europe that are like that. You know. Well, apparently, just, apparently the guy the Mavs drafted. <laughs> <laughs> that Avdi guy. Uh, okay, do you have a... Begins with a V, I think. <laughs> do you have any thoughts on Jalen, uh, Noel? Yeah, I, I was... What I love about Finch's uh, implacable approach toward rotations right now, saying, I don't know. And right. we don't, first of all, we don't know whether he doesn't know. He may know exactly what he's doing. Dude, I don't think he knows. Or, but. No, no, I don't. That's, it gives, I don't think he knows what his rotation is going to be. I it, think he knows what he's doing. It gives him the freedom to ignore or totally embrace blips in the system. And. I get what you're saying. Noel's fourth quarter and overtime against Denver was a blip. He could have just let it go. He let it go for everyone else on the court that night. Right. But all of a sudden, Jalen Noel became a guy, you know, entered the top eight in his rotation ever since. Well, he, now, yeah, he was the first injuries, off the bench. Yeah. You know, but um, and also, um, let's face it, he's incredibly coachable. He's a nice guy. He's going to be welcome with every team he lands on. He's going to be accepted in the locker room and by the coaching staff. He will have a job in basketball on the court and then off the court for as long as he wants it. He's just that kind of dude. Right. I, I think for for me with him, he is by nature a scorer. Mm-hmm. That's what he grew up doing. Right. You know, He's your classic getting buckets guy, right? Right. And not like shooting guard, but not really big enough to right. really play on the wing. But he's always been able to create space. His his best skill is being able to create space for himself to get a shot off. Once he kind of like gets going downhill a little bit, not all the way to the rim, but get him. He can get a clean mid range shot for himself on anybody. He did on Bull Bull, who's seven three right. numerous times. What we often see with players like that around the league, and I, I think a classic punching bag, but a fair, accurate description is Jamal Crawford. Right. In that, right? Those players very off, very rarely commit themselves to defense whatsoever. Right. They just say, this is what I get paid to do. This is how I'm going to make it work. Now, Noel isn't a like peak Jamal Crawford level score or whatever no. back in the day. Nor is he Nader Jamal Crawford 
Mat- right. Matador. Exactly. But he cares about He defense. hasn't killed an entire team's defense <laughs> like Jamal Crawford did one year. Exactly. That still remains like just wild. Uh, one of those low-key things where you look at everyone else's defensive rating and then you look at Crawford's defensive rating and then you look at the pairings, defensive mm-hmm. ratings, and Jamal Crawford killed everybody on defense. He killed them. He did. It was phenomenal. Jalen Noel is a player. Should be a book about it. Who won't, who won't do that. He, he, I feel like from having talked to him, he very much understands that his path to staying in the league is by playing defense, like is by committing more to defense. Right. If he doesn't, he's, he's not, smart and coachable. Exactly. And, and that will be his path to getting into the rotation. this If year. he gets into the rotation, if, that's the thing. If a hole opens up, but that always happens. I mean, we talk right, like, right. that's why I, I feel about right. When we ever get to him. Not, not right. I meant uh, night. I always night. get those two uh, mixed up. That's like an hour. Get from ready, now. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to wrap up our guards episode uh, on, on that right. point. <laughs> McKinley Wright will get I to had it. A we'll segue get to in it. mind all. Uh, no, you did it. You were doing the wrong person. All right. He's Britt Robson. Um, I'm uh, Dane Moore. You can listen to. Uh, this next episode that we're going to record now on Sunday morning, we'll, we'll hit on the wings and then also the bigs on, on Monday. So uh, thanks for being here. And he's been, I'm Dane. Peace out. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.